Welcome to Blue Royalty, a London's Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jessie Park Humphreys, joined by Abdullah Abdullah with a little bit of a change to our planned scheduling. We were hoping to do a lone e review episode up next, and we are still going to try and get that done before um, the season in, in England gets sort of back underway. But events have conspired to mean that we need to do a little deep dive on a player. Obviously, um, we did a sort of roundup episode a couple of days ago, and at that point we were sort of linked to Lacroix, and then obviously, like classically in transfers in 24 hours, everything's changed, and it now looks like Chelsea are about to sign or will sign Natalie Bjorn. Um, so Abdullah, we are going to have a little look at Bjorn as a player, how this transfer came about, why we think Chelsea want her whether she's any good, um, all of which I think are valid and interesting questions. But let's start maybe with like sort of what's your like initial reaction to this deal being done? Um, I mean, we were just talking about it now, like a few minutes ago. I am sort of confused. I mean, I I I first saw it and I went, okay, Natalie Bjorn, good player, like fair enough. But it just it like the the it didn't hit me as like a Chelsea signing at first um, in, in the sense that, you know, you, you, you kind of look at it from a, from a, from a view of like, okay, why are Chelsea buying a player? They're shorter defender, like, you know, because of Nick now's injury, you want a center back. Okay. Um, but are you going to go and replace some, are you going to go bring someone in with, with experience? You're going to bring a young player in to kind of replace what, what now gave you, you know, what are you doing there? And this kind of didn't fit any of those questions that I had in, in the beginning because Natalie Bjorn is a good player, but I was like, if she was going to be at a point where, and you know what, she could very well become a player that 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 completely outdoes everybody's expectations and becomes like this world-class defender. But in the beginning, I'm like, she's a good player, but is she a Chelsea player, number one? And the only reason I could see for her signing is that she can play in multiple different positions. And with Chelsea going to lose a couple of players to international duty and with the injury there and kind of the rotation that Chelsea have, it's a very good squad player to have, but it's also a very long contract. So all of these questions kind of didn't really line up for me. And I was kind of confused again. I think maybe as we get into the actual transfer happening and we hear Emma Hayes, maybe we'll, we'll understand. But that was my initial reaction. Yeah, no, I think I I basically will agree with with everything you say there. I think Bjorn's obviously a player that a lot of people will be familiar with. She's been in the WSL for a number of years now at Everton. Uh, she's obviously pretty a pretty regular fixture for Sweden. Although I think what that means to be a regular fixture for Sweden has maybe changed a little bit in in past years compared to maybe what that said about you as a player. Uh, a couple of years ago but I think as a result lots of people will sort of have watched her but for, for people who don't know like this is someone who can play at centre back at right back at um in defensive midfield as well um so definitely very versatile someone who's familiar with the WSL but also I think at the same time a player who has some quite obvious flaws to her um and I think it's going to be sort of quite interesting to see how that plays out that being said I also think this is a player Chelsea signing for the here and now um but that doesn't mean that won't cause issues further down the line um but we will talk more about all of those kind of things as we get into this episode 
Let's start by talking about how this transfer came about, because it did happen very quickly. So for anyone who doesn't know, Natalie Bjorn has been heavily linked to Real Madrid for a while. She was heavily linked in the summer. Real Madrid apparently wanted to make her like one of the best paid defenders in the world or something. Um, they wanted to offer like a lot of money for her, but Everton sort of said no. They went back for her in January. Everton had set a price for her and Real Madrid effectively said, we don't want to pay that price. She's got six months left on her deal. We are going to offer you a, a slither of what that price is. And Chelsea, obviously, also on the market for a defender. They basically went to Everton and said, we will basically pay you exactly what you want, which I think we believe is around sort of 120K. Now, transfer fees, Abdullah, we've talked about it before, but it's so weird, I think, to try and understand what this, this money means because... To a club like Chelsea, to a club like Real Madrid, 120k is not a lot of money. Um, and and so for me, I've come to sort of take the view that like transfer fees in women's football are effectively meaningless. Um, unless you are like coming from a smaller club. Where, but even then, you know, like um, I think the the classic uh, was not the classic, but something I looked at earlier in the season was sort of Bristol City because their men's team is in the championship. But like, a number of their players, because of the le level the championship is in England, will be, be still be, be being paid that level a week. And now we can't ever imagine Bristol City putting that, dropping that kind of money on a player. But really, there's no reason they couldn't as a club. And so I, then you get into this position where lots of people, and this was the, the sort of the story that came out of Spain, which was so classic of some Spanish journalists, I think. But, you know, it was like, that Chelsea and their money had got in the way of Real Madrid doing the do, doing this deal. Chelsea had you know tripled Real Madrid's offer, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Wow, are we paying like 300k for her?" But I feel like at this point, firstly, 100k has just become sort of standard for a player who's still in contract, and secondly, it's still not very much money. <laughs> That's the one thing I don't get about transfer fees in the women's game like the men's game i get it when you're talking about 50 million 60 million 70 million you have those valuation differences like if someone says they've doubled it from instead of paying like 25 million you've paid let's take the classic case of anthony right valued at 25 million for manchester united and ix early in the summer go on and you pay 85 million that sort of difference in somebody going and doing that i get those numbers right they make sense and they are huge differences where you actually have a lot of financing involved at the level that the women's football space plays in 100Ks, 200Ks. I mean, if your highest transfer fee is about 450, 500K around that Kira Walsh, Penny Laha, you know, that, that sort of range, that's still not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things for a football club that has both the men's and women operations under one umbrella, right? So I agree with you. Like 100K for a club like a Real Madrid or a Chelsea or even to an extent of Barcelona shouldn't actually be much because you're like, if you kind of put the finances of both the entire entity as one, what is 100K? They drop 100K on players' wages on a weekly basis, let alone a transfer fee. Like, what is Natalie going to earn at Chelsea? Like, I, well, like 20, 15, 15,000 a week. I don't, I'm, I'm literally just, just throwing numbers here, right? So if you look at that over a three year period, you're spending effectively maybe 500,000 pounds for the entire contract plus the transfer fee. So, yeah, it's not really much money. So when you're right, I agree with you. When 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 the Spanish media comes out and says something like tripled, you know, triple the amount to so what were you offering, like 20, 25,000 pounds for a transfer fee? And then Chelsea are offering a hundred. I mean, that 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 tripling isn't really much 
money, right? So um, I agree with you. I've, I've come to realize that. And I think maybe that's why we don't hear much about transfer fees in women's football. We hear about lengths of contracts and maybe how much they're making, but we don't really hear much about, oh, it's been a 150,000 pound deal or 200,000 pounds, you know, like clubs that have good infrastructure and their good finances in place because of their men's teams can easily drop X amounts of money. And I think that's why eventually we're slowly getting to a point where I think in the next couple of years, we will start seeing the first million pound, million euro player in the women's game eventually go through because those numbers are eventually going to go up and then your average price is going to go up. When we get to those numbers, even then in the grand scheme of things, it's not much. I can kind of understand tripling and quadrupling and doubling. But the numbers that you're playing in now within the 50, 100, 200K, it really isn't a big deal. And if, you know, maybe, you know, she could have said, okay, I'll get the choice of two. I want to go to Chelsea anyway, because they've come in. That That's that's on her. So I, I, I don't get the whole outcry of, you know, Chelsea have gone in and, and kind of destroyed the entire uh, nether realm of the women's football transfer scheme by by getting Nasty Bjorn for 100k so really it's it's a strange one I know I think for me it's more I'm like I look at Real Madrid and I'm a bit like what are you doing here like yeah. what what do you want out of this and what do you want out of your women's team because this is a player who you've had as a target for a number of months who yes has, has got a fee on her from her club because she's still in contract and yeah maybe you think oh you can wait till summer to get her on a free but equally you could just go and get her now for not very much money um and I actually think again this is like a failure of Real Madrid to understand where the market's going because you're talking about like million pound players and I do think we'll get there but um I wrote sort of for Flying Geese this week about Chelsea and Barcelona's pursuit of younger players and I actually think one of the more interesting trends is less about the players who who are going to command the top fees, but players like Natalie Bjorn, whereby you've got to this point whereby everyone sort of takes a fee. And then you get into this very funny position where you look at the players who Chelsea have spent money on and who they haven't spent money on over the past couple of years. So if we talk about, you know, that this transfer window as currently is and summer, you've got players like Shukanuskan, Mia Fischel, Natalie Bjorn, all of whom we put fees on in the sort of six-figure range. Um, I believe we gave Aston Villa a little bit of money for Hannah Hampton for some reason, just to be kind, even though she was out of contract. So kind of put her in there as well, if you want. But then you've got Kat Macaria for free and Ashley Lawrence for free. So then when you put those two players in your big, you know, set of players that you've got, you've spent like, let's say at this point, maybe 400, 500K on them. You got 250K for Bethany England anyway. So you're, you're, loss is 250k but from that you've got like a whole chunk of players you know like basically half a starting 11 including two players in Lawrence and Macario who are really highly thought of so I think this is the reason it's kind of very hard to figure out what is good business and what isn't good business um and I just think I think clubs have repeatedly shown although I think Bjorn is a very weird person to then put in this category but they're like if you want and you need a player like just go out and get her it's, it's a bit like us Arsenal and Kyra Cooney Cross although I don't exactly know what happened with us in all of that and it all sounds a bit weird but like lots of clubs wanted Kyra Cooney Cross when her contract ended right like Manchester United supposedly had everything tied up with with KCC and Arsenal said no, actually, like, Hamvi, just tell us how much you want and we'll write you the check because it's more important to us that we get this player. And I think, again, that's a reflection of the way the, the market is going. Kyra Cooney-Cross 
is not going to be a £250,000 player for all her career, not only because she's going to get better in the way a younger player will, but because the the women's market is inflating so much within that time. It's like kind of a, you know, a, a double a double effect happening there. Um, but all of that's kind of by the by, I think, in terms of Bjorn herself, just because Bjorn is not that player. Um, but I think all of this is basically to say the money, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Um, but let's take a little ad break and then we'll talk a bit more about Bjorn herself rather than just sort of ranting about the women's football transfer market. So Natalie Bjorn, she is 26 years old. She turns 27 in May. Swedish defender, 5'9", according to her Wikipedia. Um, she has been at Everton since 2021. Before that, um, she played mainly in Sweden. Um, and she has over 50 caps for the Swedish national team. Capable of playing centre-back, right-back, DM. Used to playing in a back three or back four. I guess in on sort of the top level, Abdullah, this is a player who, as we've touched on, knows the WSL, um, has played at a high level internationally, obviously played in a World Cup semi-final this summer, and just is quite an experienced player. Yeah, yeah. I think I think um in and going going back to why we think she's here, I think the experience that she has playing for Everton for the last couple of years, obviously playing for Sweden in, in major tournaments, obviously, like you said, the uh the, the World Cup semi-final. Um, and I think one of the one of the bigger things is that maybe more with Sweden than, than with Everton, but she's played with big players around her. I mean, she's had Magdalena Eriksson next to her. She's had uh, Federina Rolfo next to her. And she's had, um, obviously, Musovic to an extent has played with, played with her as well. So obviously she would probably have been consulted to an extent saying how she has a character, blah, blah, blah. So I think that also is an underrated quality that, that helps. And I think kind of... You know, in a weird way, she almost feels like a Marin Mielder replacement in the sense that Marin Mielder is, is getting older, but Bjorn coming in to kind of be able to play those multiple different positions and then maybe eventually play them really, really well and have that same sort of trajectory that um, Marin has or had, I think could be the case here because I think every squad needs that one, whether it's a midfielder or a defender that can play in like two, three different positions and at a decent, at a decent rate that maybe won't command wanting to start every single game, right? So I, I think maybe one of the reasons for bringing in Natalie Bjorn instead of Maya Lacroix, who we're linked with as well, is maybe Maya Lacroix would have eventually commanded having to start every game because of the her development and getting there. And when you have Jess Carter and Millie Bright, who are probably going to be starting every every week, it will kind of be difficult to justify replacing Anik Nawa, who wasn't really starting many games, if any, Versus a player that would come in and, and and kind of go anywhere and start games, right? Rather than rather than sitting on the bench for most weeks, and maybe with Bjorn, it's it's much easier to kind of convince her, maybe at the level of her where uh, development and kind of where she had where she's coming from. That okay, you come in, you're going to be a good squad player, rotational player. You'll get your opportunities. Obviously, you know she, they've given her the, the next six months saying, here's where we think you're going to fit in and play because these players are going and this player is out, whatever, whatever it then becomes easier over the next couple of years till the end of her contract, if not more, to be able to kind of fit her in and be like, all right, look, there's so much rotation. You will play. And if you want to sit and play, enjoy it, Chelsea, win a few trophies and, and get the development of playing with all these amazing players come through. And I don't think that would be much of a complaint for her considering she is 26 turning 27. Whereas maybe with a Lacroix, it would have been that after six, eight, seven months, she would have almost forced herself to get into, into the starting eleven. 
And then you had a situation where do you play Jess Carter? Do you drop Millie Bright? Do you drop Jess Carter? Who do you start? And then maybe Emma Hayes and then the next coach doesn't really want to be in that sort of position where you have and in this Buchanan of all, like four starting caliber center backs that all actually want to play, uh, unless there's a whole shift in formations, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, that's kind of where my thing on, on I think, why I think Bjorn is actually pretty, in, in a sense, why they brought her in and why she might be a good signing in that sense. Yeah, I think it is a tough one, obviously, because I think you can see when you're talking about players like Lacroix or potentially like uh, Kleinherner, he's obviously like another name who's been mentioned um i think everyone would agree that probably long term they're the much better options um and i think it's maybe less about the problem of sort of going forward in the future because given buchanan's got a bit of a question mark i'd say on whether people see her as a starting center back and bright is sort of older and has these sort of knee problems which feel a bit concerning i don't think like i still think i'd look at our center back situation and say potentially in the summer we want to go for another center back um, I think for me, this definitely feels more like about the here and now. And maybe this is a good point to talk about the Gold Cup because we've not really talked about this yet. But the Gold Cup is basically a new uh, CONCACAF championship that's taking place in from February the 20th to March the 10th, 2024. So the US are hosting it. And crucially for us, Canada are participating, of course. We obviously have a number of Canadians in the team, uh, Kadisha McCann and Ashley Lawrence and Jesse Fleming. But I think, crucially, it's important to focus on Ashley Lawrence and Kadisha Buchanan um, going away. So Canada's first game is the February the 22nd. Um, and so normally in CONCACAF-type things, you can basically bank on the US and Canada being the final. This is a bit different because they've invited... Um, a number of the South American teams, so Brazil are going and Colombia are going. Um, Argentina and Paraguay are going too, but I don't think they're necessarily as relevant here. But basically, I'd say in the US, Canada, Brazil and Colombia, you've got four good teams there. So there's not necessarily the guarantee that Canada will be in the final, but I think we could say barring something shocking, which would be beneficial to us, but we should assume that they're going to be at least there till March 6th, which is when the semifinals take place, potentially March 10th, which is when the final takes place. So in terms of games missed, you've got Chelsea City is on the 18th of February. Um, that's obviously before the actual games start, but I assume they're going to go before then. Leicester Chelsea is the 3rd of March. The FA Cup fifth round is the 10th of March, which is the day of the final. And then you've got Chelsea Arsenal on the 17th of March, which I'd say... There's maybe a question mark depending on whether Canada do reach the final and sort of fitness availability after they've played um, an international tournament. With sort of Millie's return unknown, now one's out for the season. Buchanan and Lawrence possibly unavailable, probably unavailable for three to four matches in February, March. You end up with Jess Carter, Marimielda and Yves Perisay as three players for three positions. Basically those two centre-back positions and right-back for the end of February, half February and half of March. So basically a month altogether. And that's assuming you get no more injuries. So with that in mind, Abdullah, I feel like this is the really crucial thing. We're basically looking at four games potentially where we just needed another body, but obviously ideally another body who could have a like competent impact in that time. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And 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 that's what 
Natalie Bjorn gives us, right? Someone who's played in the league for two years, has experience, can play in four, three, four different positions and can probably just slot in and start playing. And I think that is crucial in that sense. I mean, I think, you know, if we're talking about getting bodies in, Micah Hamano and Kat Macario, as, as Emma said last week, is are basically like new signings for us, right? Like they they barely played, if not played at all. They will come in. And so in the midfield and attack, we've essentially got two fresh play- players to come in and and and, and uh, give it, give us options. And at the back, if you're bringing in Natalie Bjorn, you know, that's another player that can come in and kind of can kind of do a, a good job at, uh, at at filling in positions that need to be filled in. I think this is where, you know, the fact that maybe Kadisha Buchanan hasn't played as much football as, as she'd like. Maren Mielda has played here, bits here and there. So I think these... Essentially, you have three players in defense and two players in attacks, so essentially five players that are either coming in or haven't played much football or coming back from injury who will really give you a new lease of life. And when you're losing Jesse Fleming, Ashley Lawrence, right, two huge players for us that will probably start practically if there's two games a week, they will start one, if not both games a week. It becomes super important and super crucial to have those players and then be able to to. to to get them in because like you said they're essentially gone for a month you assume for a second maybe they reach the semi-final they travel back it's a long flight um they have to rest recover get their fitness back assess any injuries if any right and then slowly come back in with like smaller minutes you can't just throw in an ashley lawrence after playing let's say a month of a tournament and then throwing in for 90 minutes in, in in a time of the season where it starts getting intense it's the business end of the season you know we're starting to get into like Champions League quarterfinal territory around the 16 territory important games there I mean you referenced it obviously Man City is going to be missed Leicester City is not an easy game and there's Arsenal in the you know in the middle of March you know when when you're looking at something like that Arsenal game um, you really have to kind of look at it and go okay so how how many minutes can these players play it's a big game and and even the games after that you've got to then maybe have like I don't know let's just say the West Ham game it's like all right if they come back at the worst possible time, like as in they they stay longer at the tournament, maybe this is the game that we have to get them ready for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, having like Bjorn come in as that extra completely fresh player who can play in like four different positions, I think is is massive. And 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 having that almost instant impact, I think really helps uh, Chelsea for right now. Yeah. And I think generally the sort of, well, the, there's two things I think that come up from that. I think firstly, Chelsea have shown that they don't want to rush players. I think there are some managers in the league who, for example, when I'm talking about that Arsenal game, would say, well, potentially their players have played on the 10th of March. They would be like, whatever, like we'll play them for Arsenal. I think Chelsea don't want to be in that position where it's like you have to throw in a player no matter what, unless maybe you say it, unless you're talking about Sam Kerr, because I think that's the only player that, at points we've been forced to do that because she's been our only striker. Um, I also think she's like the one player who were a bit more like, okay, like whatever, we'll play her regardless. Um, the other thing I think Chelsea are potentially very aware of is how players have struggled from other leagues. And I think this is particularly interesting in relation to Lacroix, but like, I feel like Kadisha Buchanan is like the big example of someone who's really struggled to get up to the pace of the WSL coming from France. And I even think Ashley Lawrence, is, you've seen the same thing. Um, and I think Chelsea, it feels like they're very aware now sort of where they're buying from in, in terms of that, especially if you want someone to have an immediate impact. Um, the other, I guess, interesting element with Bjorn, just sort of talking about her as 
her experience, I guess, rather than the way she plays, which we're going to come on to in a minute, is obviously you've kind of referenced it. She does have these existing links with players in the Chelsea team, which I think, again, if you're looking for someone who you're basically saying, we might need to play you for sort of four games, um, and obviously, you know, like, use her for longer, um, but, like, we're really focused on these four games, it's very handy to have those existing relationships, right? So, like, you can basically recreate the right-hand side of Sweden's World Cup team if you use her as your right-back, because we've basically played Canada at right wing all this season. Um, so that feels like a useful benefit as well. I mean, to be fair, someone like Lacra or someone like Kleinherner both have those same things. You know, like, Lacra has experience playing with F. Perse, although actually... Uh, during the World Cup, as we kind of referenced in our last episode, they were mainly in competition. Um, Klein Herner played alongside Shukunuskin at Eintracht Frankfurt because they were centre-backs together. Because um, Nuskin was playing centre-back at the time. Um, so it, it's not like other targets didn't have those um, those links with other players in the Chelsea squad, but it's presumably still seen as a benefit that Bjorn has that relationship, I guess also with, with Zatira Musevic, although who knows how much she'll play in that time. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it's, it's, the relationships are important, like you said. We, we've we seen it with Buchanan, we've seen it with Ashley Lawrence, and um, I mean, to be fair, we've even seen it with some of the younger players that eventually, they even took some time, like you look at Neve Charles, that took a little bit of time to come in, obviously different circumstances, and that she's played in multiple different positions, but eventually when she landed that spot at left-back, her being able to know how Gura plays in front of her and, and having that consistency over there, being around the squad, just eventually was it was a huge help. And so when you have, um, you know, someone playing uh, with players around you, whether it's one or two even, that you know really well, it just makes the betting in process so much easier because then you, you can be like, all right, I know how one of these two players play. All I have to do is now maybe put my focus on how you know, someone on my left or someone on my right plays. And then that way I can easily connect the dots and do it. When you have to then learn how four players play versus two or one, it make a whole host of difference. And I think, I think that'll be, that would be important. Right. And, 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 but to, and to an extent though, I do think that in these, let's say four games that we said, like cluster of four games that we really need her for, it'll be more about putting in, just putting in a performance just getting through the games unscathed and just putting in a shift rather than maybe developing the relationship, playing, you know, you know, as, as, as they need to be playing, you know, with the philosophy and the way, you know, Emma wants them to play, obviously that's there, but I think the purpose of bringing her in now and then getting those four games in four or five games in is we need somebody fresh. We need somebody to have a really good impact and then someone who can really, um, you know, just just get through the games without having to to be so far behind and having players around you is is super important. Yeah, I think the final thing that that we should touch on about before we talk about how she plays is sort of the contract length. Um, being reported by Ben Jacobs that she's going to sign a deal to twenty twenty seven. That's obviously sort of a two and a half year deal, basically at this point. Um. Which I feel like is interesting, right? Because she's someone who doesn't really seem to have a huge amount of market value aside from us playing the us paying the fee sort of like that that Everton wanted her for. I mean, who knows like what Real Madrid were doing. Um, but this is someone who's gonna be in and around the squad for a while, presumably. You also have this interesting 
uh, facet with all of these Chelsea signings now that we don't know who the manager's going to be and whoever that is is going to come in and presumably reassess everyone. But how do you think this impacts sort of the squad going forward? You talked about like, uh, you know, if we'd brought in a younger player, maybe they'd be more like demanding on game time and maybe there's the opportunity with Bjorn to have her on the back burner. I guess... This is maybe something that's interesting if potentially Maren Mielder wasn't going to do another year with us, that having, again, someone who's a bit older, a bit more experienced, who's not going to play every game, like that's sort of the, do you think that's sort of the role that she's going to have within the squad? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, for me, that's my reading of the situation because like, like we said, like her, um, her ability as a player she's a good player like she's a really good player but she's i don't think she's at the caliber of amelia bright a chess carter or you know right now where she is going to be commanding you know or she should command like a starting spot like someone like going back to klein her maybe in lacrae again like even like six months like towards the end of this the half season you could have you could have done it but like that player is potentially too good to be left on the bench more often than not whereas with Natalie Bjorn maybe being a little bit older kind of doing that Marin Mielder role like 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 we referenced maybe makes more sense having come from an Everton and and knows that okay I'm a good player but maybe my role here is to be as a rotation and then work my way up if I can right now we've seen situations and players that have um that have possibly relative to the clubs that they've gone from to where they've gone they have worked their way up from being all right you kind of brought in as like this rotational squad player and then they've turned out to be like you know starting level players um from the from the, you know eventually like you look at someone like for example Ingrid Engen went from Wolfsburg to Barcelona probably it's just like a backup to Patrick Guijaro but in this season now obviously injuries because some injuries as well but she's now become one of the more important players and is starting every game and actually putting in really good performances whereas maybe a season or so ago when she came in, you wouldn't have necessarily expected her to be that player that would play in week in, week out at Barcelona, right? Again, different circumstances, but I, I think the, the principle probably is the same. So I think I think with with Natalie Bjorn, it's it's it'll be easier to manage her game time and easy, easier to manage her as a player. And I think eventually maybe the the team needed maybe not exactly a first team player to start every game, but I think they needed some really suitable, experienced rotation options in there to be able to bring in when required because of the amount of games that they have. All right, let's take another ad break here. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about how Natalie Bjorn actually plays. So, Abdullah, my reading on Natalie Bjorn has always been she's sort of fine, solid player. Um, Didn't think she was amazing. Didn't think she was bad. She was just fine. I thought she had a good World Cup, um, broadly. I thought she looked good, sort of playing in a slightly more unfamiliar role at, at right back. Um, I thought she linked up well with Johanna Ritten-Kanarid. I mean, Sweden's entire attacking plan was basically about using those two on the right-hand side. They, like, attacked solely down their right-hand side, basically, throughout the World Cup. Um, but I, in preparation for this, obviously had a look at some of the data as well as some of the video to go back and sort of refresh my memory, focusing on Bjorn particularly. And I got to tell you, the data hates Natalie Bjorn. The data says Natalie Bjorn is rubbish. Where where do we land between these two opinions? Uh, well, the data hates some people but loves other people. But you know what? Data can be 
can be perceptive. I think I think looking at the data is is important, but I think looking at data along with the eye test, I think becomes like that's the that gives us the full picture. And and you're right. Like if you're looking at if we're looking at this at these charts that we've got here, you know, progressive passing, not so great. Progressive passing percentage numbers, not 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 any better, right? Decent passing and uh, percentage of dribblers tackled. 100%. I mean, this is, this is, that's really, really good. So you can tell that she's a pretty decent defender, but everywhere else in comparison, she's not really, really good. Um, and then you look at the 22, 23 season, which is, which is the one previously, you can kind of tell that she has a bit more of an all round game. So I, I think, again, I think to some extent, while she's not amazing uh, at, at center back or right back, I just think the, the outcome of her being a solid player for that, position that we talked about bringing her in i think then it just it just um it just makes sense i mean i mean we have to i mean i think we should caveat this by saying the data is looking at the top five leagues including the nwsl and comparing her to those players and when you're looking at such a broad range of players maybe someone like natalie bjorn will be lower down the list because there are some very very top quality uh, defenders in 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 those leagues um but I think the more underrated and the more underlying potent point to make about Natalie Bjorn is I think she's just played in the WSL for two seasons. That that I think that just gives her a, a leg up on so many different uh, foreign options that would come in, right? She doesn't need that much time to settle into life in the UK, right? She's going, going to be moving from, from Liverpool to, to London, which is... But I mean, you can probably attest to this better. I'm assuming that's going to be an easier transition down than going up, right? So, um, that that should be fine. She's got friends there at the club. You know, it's again all familiar environment. So, when you have all of that, and and let's not forget, there could be a side to side of Natalie Bjorn in terms of her passing, game understanding, game state, tactical uh, versatility, where she just actually just becomes. A ten times better player because she's training around world class players, training with world class coaches. We've seen so many examples of players who have, who are okay, and then the minute they're with better players and better quality coaches and players, not to say that Everton don't have that, but Chelsea's another level. Let's 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 be real here. That automatically increases your level to by ten percent by just being there, right? So. um I, so I don't want to look into the number and, and put a, a huge emphasis on numbers because I feel like you, when you're looking at some, where Everton are playing and the type of football they're playing and, and 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 the positions that they're fighting for is very different to what Chelsea want to do. And I do think that those numbers, some of those numbers can easily shoot up the minute she starts playing for Chelsea and gets more uh, of a, of an understanding like her pass completion rates and her pass completion in terms of progressive passing, that could easily go up just because she's playing in a team that's more possession dominant than an Everton would be, right? And then the same thing for maybe tackling and all that. Maybe those numbers kind of even out a little bit because off the ball, Chelsea would have to just mainly worry about counterattack. So I think all of that kind of has to be put into perspective as well. Yeah, I think my thought sort of looking at the data would be that she's having not a great season this season. Um, it's worth saying that she also did miss a chunk of time, not long, about three weeks through injury. Um, so she sort of played the full 90 for Everton's first four games of the season. She was injured for a bit and then she only played a full 90 again um, against Manchester City uh, in the game they lost 4-1. I also think, yes, it is worth saying that Everton are not a great team. Um, but at the same time, 
I think my concern would be is that Everton are not a great team, but she doesn't really do the things that you'd expect a centre-back playing in a not-a-great team to do, e.g. make tackles, intercept the ball, um, clear the ball. That feels a bit concerning to me. I will say she was a lot better at doing that in previous years. So in 22-23, her tackles were like more like in the 80th percentile, her blocks and inceptions more like in the 60th or so percentile. Um, it's still not great, um, but like... She has been a better defender than she is being this season. I think in other interesting stuff that's worth sort of talking about, she is obviously very good at tackling dribblers. Um, I think like when she gets in there, she she does very well. Um, and the other thing I think she's very good at is carrying the ball out from the back. And she does something which... Raffaelli did used to do a lot at Arsenal, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, she will go and she will just dribble past the first round of pressure. Now she's not doesn't normally carry on going. She normally releases the ball pretty much straight away. But she is very confident and very good at going past a player in front of her, which I think is actually a profile Chelsea don't really have right now. I think it's like a quasi Kadisha Buchanan, but I think because. Buchanan's lost so much confidence at Chelsea. We don't really see her doing it as much. But it's very much in that mould of sort of being able to, like, dance out from the back. Um, I will say I don't think she's, like, an amazing passer. I think she's fine. She's definitely not a sort of Millie Bright um, switch the ball across to the other side of the pitch. She's, like, really not a long passer. She's, like, fine at shorter passes. Um, but I don't always think, like, technically like she's a great passer at all you can tell that she prefers to sort of carry the ball rather than pass it um but I think sort of something that we've also touched on is that uh Bjorn for Sweden and Bjorn for Everton are quite different and I thought it was interesting to go and look at her numbers from the World Cup um because she doesn't really make many progressive passes for Everton obviously at the World Cup she played it right back so it's a bit of a different position but she made 7.26 progressive passes per 90 with Sweden. That put her in the 94th percentile at the World Cup. That compares to 2.33 for Everton. So her, her progressive output tripled whilst playing for Sweden rather than Everton. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if that's something that Brian Sorensen is asking her not to do or if she just doesn't feel confident with the players who are ahead of her. Um, which wouldn't surprise me. Like the Everton squad isn't exactly stacked with like players who I think you'd really want to pass to. But this is sort of one of the hard things about analysing her, Adela, isn't it? Like we've got different like tape, we've got different data from her playing in a lot of different positions for two very different teams. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I think I think like like we said about her being around players that are better, like okay, like Aurora Gali might be a, a really, really good um really good passer but then the rest of them like you know she may not have the confidence and whereas at Chelsea if she's passing into Sophie Ingle or Shikaniskin or Aaron Cuthbert she knows that they're better suited under pressure when they receive the ball so her ability to her confidence to pass the ball more often will, will probably increase and if if suddenly for Sweden she's got these higher numbers high progressive passing numbers just take that example as like you said then I think that it does come down to I think just better quality players that she trusts more in front of her than she than she does at her club um and 
I do think that we might start seeing the Nathalie Bjorn of Sweden at Chelsea rather than the Everton version of of Bjorn. Um, and yeah, I think I think not having a great half season at Everton hasn't helped her numbers and hasn't helped. But I mean, if we've just seen her off the back of an international tournament doing really really well, going to basically the second last game of the of the tournament and just missing out over there. And practically started every game in that in that back four alongside some really world class players. Then, I think there is some merit and there is something there in Nestle that that I think Chelsea sees that other than the versatility and go okay, you you know because I mean let's be real Chelsea aren't just buying a player just oh you're 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 in the league you're you've been here a couple of years you're coming from a decent team and you you know we know you we know that you could probably make an impact they could they could have gone for anybody else in in and around right they could have gone for Sadorsky from Spurs if they really wanted you right she went on loan you could have gone picked her up because you want just you won't you won't but I'm just saying she's going to the gold cup so we could have that would have defeated Uh, the purpose I mean like fair enough I get you yeah like pick a player for the impact but like we could have gone and got Steph Horton if we wanted an experienced WSL player there you go. Yes. You can go and go at Steph Horton, right? So, but they pick Natalie Bjorn, good, decent player, probably plays better for Sweden than she does for Everton. And I think maybe that will come through at Chelsea once she starts playing with these better players. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of other stuff I like about her, she's physical. Um, she's happy to go, you know, you can watch her sort of going up against Bunny Shaw and being prepared to try and like nick the ball off her. I think Bunny Shaw is probably the most physical um striker in the league um and she's very confident all across the pitch as well that's something I like about her I think because she's played in a lot of positions um she's happy to make that sort of run forward um if necessary and sort of receive the ball higher up the pitch I think sometimes you see centre-backs do that and it's like they're sort of like a headless chicken she doesn't really look like that in those positions she looks quite comfortable like if that's sort of where the game takes her my main issues is that she is rash when it comes to defensive decision making that like physicality and willingness to get tight to players does not always work out it makes for some great edits because she makes some great challenges but it also makes for some scary situations and my concern here is this feels very Khadija Buchanan coded could it, it's like it looks like Kadisha Buchanan. It looks like early Jess Carter, whereby you're just going in too early all the time. This season, she's conceded a lot of free kicks from it. Um, it can pay off, but for me, this is a concern, Abdullah. Just in terms of like what we've struggled with this year, which is like defending transitions is if you're going to get done like that and we're already defending a transition, you're basically, like, you're you're risking, like, giving a, an opponent a goal if you go in early, if you can't sort of defend the space, if you try to defend the player rather than defending the space. And Natalie Bjorn is someone who defends the player. Yeah, no, that 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 is that is actually a really good point. Um, yeah, I think, I think at Chelsea, you need to be able to... And I think, forget Chelsea, I think at any top club at the top level, you need to be able to understand and switch between defending space and defending the, defending the player. Like sometimes in a counterattack, it's almost better to defend the space in a certain situation than it is to run towards the player. And like you said, if we've seen like Kadisha, I think Kadisha Buchanan in the games that she has played this season has improved on that aspect where she's not, she's defending a lot better in these 1v1 situations. Whereas if we saw last season, 
anytime there was a counterattack and she was the she was the last player on the line, there were so many moments where she would go towards the player, miss the tackle, and then the players already run through and it's a one-on-one with the keeper. Whereas this season, we've seen her control a little bit more, make proper better decision-making in that sense. And I think with, with Bjorn, if we are going to make her whether it's her playing as a centre-back or a right-back at times, just to maybe play that quasi-back three that, that kind of shifts in and there is a counter-attack, then her understanding of, of the game situation and the game state needs to become super important because if we're then leaving her one-on-one, she's not the quickest player in the world either, then you know there is a problem there of either giving away a yellow card, a red card early on in a game, especially against teams that are quick on a counter-attack. And then if you lose that element there, you're really putting yourself in a precarious situation. I mean, we saw the example with Neve Charles getting that early yellow and then and then getting the red card in like the 92nd minute because of the second yellow. And that was exhaustion fine, but you don't want to end up in a situation like that regularly with a Natalie Bjorn, right? Where she's constantly getting carded because she can't, uh, make better decisions so I think maybe but I think that is coachable that is something that I think coming into Chelsea with the coaches that they have will they'll coach her into making better decisions and 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 doing uh, a lot more work on the training ground to understand okay in certain situations this is where you where you should be moving and in the other in the in the other section you need to be um, you know in those situations you need to be making this sort of uh, tackle so I I think I think they'll I think they'll protect her a little bit in that sense at least in the beginning yeah, I mean, my sort of conclusion from all of it has been that she's maybe a better fit, at least right now, for the right-back slash right-sided centre-back role than the centre-back one, that that thing that tucks in. And it is funny when I was looking at her World Cup stats, the player she's most similar to at the World Cup is Eve Perisic, um, who obviously basically plays that role for us right now. Now, I don't know how that works out um, in terms of, like, Perisic's still going to be here, centre-back is maybe where we look a bit more thin on the ground. That's something that might depend on Millie Bright, and obviously we don't really know what Chelsea's assessment of that is. Um, But I feel like if Lawrence is away, that could be, like, more of an option there for her. I think that would that sort of allows her to, like, go in early on on tackles and you hope you've still got the cover. You should still have the cover in behind. Um, It allows you to make the most of sort of her physical front foot defending without, like, having the downsides of it if it doesn't work out. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if that's something... Chelsea do explore but I feel like we should just wrap up now with maybe some sort of final thoughts it's a very interesting signing Abdullah there are so many different like facets of it um to try and figure out and it's going to be I think really interesting to see how Bjorn does actually fit into this side yeah well and and I I agree with you I think um if you keep her maybe away from the center, I think it might just um, give us a little bit more protection. Yeah, where she fits in, I think just becomes just becomes a huge factor. And I think that's that's where it is, right? She's kind of come in to maybe just fill in wherever is required, right? If if there is a problem at center back with Millie Bright not coming back, she slots into center back. If she, you know, if she slots in with with Eve Paris and switching around with her at right back, she slots in at right back. If we're playing three at the back, some random game that gets switched, she plays at the right of the three with uh, with Eve, you know, at the wing back position. Then then sure we do that. So I I think I think her position being nailed down is important, but I think at least in the beginning it will just be more about okay, where do you slot in? And where do we need you now? Rather than all right, this is going to be your long term position, quote unquote. So. I think that's that's my reading of the situation. Yeah, I think I kind of 
cosine and all that. I think my concern is is it becomes like a bit of a Svitkova deal whereby you bring someone in because you you feel like you need this extra body in there and then sort of it doesn't really work out. Um, and over time, you sort of just get this additional player who's stuck on your squad who you can't necessarily shift. Um, I hope it isn't like that. And I do think Bjorn's probably like got a lot more experience than Svitkova. Like, I think the Sweden experience does really count for a lot in that sense. Um, and I think her versatility counts for a lot. Uh, but I do think it's going to be quite a big step up. Um and it's going to be interesting to see what sort of happens in these earlier weeks because you'd think there'll be an incentive to try and play Bjorn more so that she's ready to play then in the games that she's away for. So it feels like, again, there's a bit of a... Um, yeah, there's a bit of a trade-off there. Ultimately, I think just generally Chelsea's problems around this area like I just think there's a sort of a bit of a squad building issue at centre-back which has been exacerbated by the fact that the Kadisha Buchanan signing hasn't worked out in the way that people expected it to who knows if it like does come good like I could still see that happening um obviously specifically the gold cup thing like makes that a little bit different but I think if you zoom out and take the bigger picture there's just generally a problem whereby Buchanan hasn't worked out exactly how we wanted now and didn't kick on how we thought she would she's now got a long-term injury and then you end up with the Millie Bright injury, which again is a little bit hard to predict. Um, and so suddenly you go from having, well, at least I think in Buchanan and now on two players who you think are the future of your defence to being like, okay, like realistically are those two players, um, players I can rely on. And obviously in these situations, like nothing to do with them. You can't rely on them in this specific bit of the season. You're forced to then go out and get another body in, in terms of Bjorn. But then do you just add another player to that same list of players who are like, this isn't the future of Chelsea's defence. Um, and I think obviously with the like quite tight where Chelsea are in terms of like squad limits, um, that risks becoming a long-term problem. So I think that's going to be definitely something that's worth keeping an eye on. Um, that pretty much wraps us up for this Natalie Bjorn deep dive then. Uh, Chelsea obviously back on the 14th of January next week uh, to play West Ham. In the FA Cup, we'll be back with you before then. Um, probably going to revisit sort of the, the loney check-in. So we will do that for you later in the week. But until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>